My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. Hey, how's it going? This is Steve from the Lost in Translation Berkeley Society podcast here with my buddy. Hey, it's Sean. <laughs> hey, Sean, how's it going, buddy? Good, good. How are you doing? Good. And we got another guest today. Um, one, of, one, of my, one of my favorite people recently, honestly, over the last year, mainly because he pours lots of delicious whiskey for me, shares it, likes to talk whiskey. Um, and same, almost the same age, too. We both uh, recently turned 40. Two days apart. Yeah, two days apart, which is cool. But uh, you guys are old. Jay, he's also got the name of a like some sort of spy, Russian not or uh, English spy, I would say MI6. Uh, yeah, I've heard. I've heard them all. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah, James uh, Brown. James. <laughs> yeah, James Bourne. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Never turned down an opportunity to talk about whiskey. Never, never, especially with two fine gentlemen like ourselves. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Unless your wife calls and is giving birth, Stephen, that's when you that's when you call it off. <laughs> yeah. Although we were just talking about what dram would pull you out of the room while your wife is giving birth. <laughs> that that's a dangerous question to ask. My wife doesn't listen to the podcast, so Oh mine for sure won't. Right. No, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, that's that's what we say and then you you get in trouble in the weirdest ways, right? So okay, my wife does, but she can't have any more kids, so I'm safe. You're listening to the podcast? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, that's good. That's that's one one out of three ain't bad. One out of three wives ain't bad. I'm thinking like a Michter's. No, actually, let's not get into this conversation. Um. <laughs> anyways, uh, you you've listened to the show before, James. You know we like to start off with uh, making our guests talk about themselves and yeah. going going over their journey. So give us. Let us know who's who's James Bourne. Yeah, of course. It's always interesting to hear how people kind of, you know, get into the business because it, uh, there's so many different kind of stories and, and angles. Um, for myself, I did, uh, I kind of worked in a liquor store more as a, as kind of a hobby, um, as, you know, about 20 years ago. And that kind of led to an opportunity where I actually worked on a, a website um, that I founded along with a few partners called the Aspiring Gentleman. And this was in, kind of like 2006, 2007, that we first started this. And the idea was kind of like a men's lifestyle kind of site, which now in hindsight, you know, really looks like, okay, we were, you know, part of the crowd. But when it launched, there was actually nothing else like it. Like there was no one promoting like tight suits and cigars and that whole culture that has kind of exploded, obviously, in the last 15 years. So when we came up, um, you know, and we were posting things about like, you know, tailored clothing and, um, you know, as part of that, as you might imagine, was things like drinking whiskey and smoking cigars. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I ended up kind of almost by accident, um, maybe because of my experience at the liquor shop, you know, writing reviews. And uh, so it was hilarious because, you know, we didn't really get connected with local agents. A lot of the partners and writers that were working on the site were in the U.S. So we had, you know, agents in the United States sending us samples of like incredible whiskeys. Like I remember, remember getting a package and it said like, you know, golf ball head covers and I opened it up and it was like a full package of basically everything Dalmore was making, like right up to like the 25 and the SETI and like just some crazy stuff. 
and uh, I was just like writing <laughs> reviews um, on this site. And Crazy. it was interesting because, I mean, you know what this is like. You've had some of these kinds of successes. You know, I think there was a time where, you know, if you looked up some fairly big whiskeys, like we were on the front page of Google. And, uh, so there was a brief time where it was, it got kind of crazy, but, um, you know, as, as it goes, of course, you know, life gets going and stuff to write and keep it up and we ended up selling the site, but, um, oh, sold it you off. know, we did sell it off, but, uh, but by then, you know, I was deep into it mm-hmm. and, um, you know, then in 2012, I took a job, you know, working for the importer of Berglady based off of that experience. So, you know, then I was really in deep. Cause then, you know, I had like Jim McEwen in my car all of a sudden. And it was like, it's like, how did I get here? <laughs> Still wearing the yeah. tight suits though. <laughs> no, <comment. laughs> no, no, no. The Scotch guys always wear the, uh, just comfortable tweed, right? Comfortable tweed. Yeah. Or just, yeah. even just, just blazer on top of whatever else you're yeah. wearing. So it could be pajamas as long as you're wearing With a, a blazer. Coat. Yeah. As long as you're wearing a sport coat, you're good to go. Right? Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure made from some sort of Scottish wool. Some yeah, by some yeah. weird goat or, or something. <laughs> it's something like 30, in the highlands. That Thirty degrees can't outside. see when they walk. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyways, I uh, I got to work for Brooklady, and yeah, like it wasn't even that long. And of course, they sold to a larger company, and uh, so you know, ended up uh, moving and. To a different agency and i worked with tomatin briefly and then uh, finally ended up with the agency i'm at now and we uh, we had some great brands um like for instance white mckay so had some really great opportunities there yeah and uh then we also represented um the ben Reek distilling company so that was uh yeah that was sort of how i'm connected to what we're going to talk about today obviously because <laughs> yeah yeah so as it so happens one of the one, owners yeah you've been following yeah. one one journey here for a little while now totally yeah but uh yeah we represent some other great whiskeys too things like you know Michter's bourbon yeah. and uh, compass box and of course last but not least gordon mcphail and ben romick so it's it's an incredible portfolio you know there's it's it's bottomless um in terms of the opportunity and the experiences so yeah, you could go anywhere with that portfolio, and um, you can. You you represent Wolfburn too. I wrote that down. That's why I do, I do represent Wolfburn. They're not really yeah, which is known sneaky. out here yet. Yeah, it's no, but I think they will be. I you know I think that long term, I think Wolfburn will be in the same breath as a lot of the, you know, that sort of tight list of trendy whiskeys because that's if you think about what they're doing in the quality, like they're they're going to be right there. Yeah, it's and their and their branding is is beautiful and they're but yeah. they're still fairly young. Like Wolfburn, how long ago do they start distilling? Yeah, well, 2012. So believe it or not, like they're yes. gonna have 10-year-old whiskey in the warehouse pretty quickly here, um, which is hard to believe. But yeah, you know, the whiskey that's on the shelf now, you know, there's probably a lot of six, seven, eight-year-old whiskey in those bottles. Yeah. So it's gotten a lot better. Um, if you get a recent batch, well, to be honest, even the early batches were really good quality, but you know, now you're starting to get more of a sense of where they're going which is nice. Yeah, it was weird. Like I was at a store in town here and this is a couple of years ago and I was just kind of looking for something new that I hadn't tried before. And the guy was like, well, and back then you could sample in stores and he's like, try this. And he poured me one of the Wolfburns. It was slightly peated. 
And I was like, whoa, what is this? I've never even heard of this. He's like, yeah, they're brand yeah. new. You know, like they just started releasing whiskey a couple of years ago. And so I grabbed the bottle and that's now long gone. But yeah, it was, uh, it was surprising, like for a young whiskey, how good it was. And there's, there's some like a drinkers in Europe that I chat with every now and then that's like swear by some of yeah. their single casts and four or five years old. Yeah. It's been absolutely stunning. So yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd like to see them more than more over here. There's, there's a couple of their expressions, but they're definitely, yeah. no, it's, it's exciting for me. Cause it feels like it's in the back pocket. You know, I feel like oh, at amazing. some point they're going to go through something like Lenalki did, you know, a year and a half ago, where all of a sudden it explodes, you know, like that's going to happen to them at some point. You, you've got to think so. And whiskey's only getting more popular and these, mm-hmm. these, these up and coming brands are going to hit their light. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it uh, like with a portfolio like that, it's got to be difficult though, keeping up. Like I don't know how you would actually find the time to continue to research all these brands. And yeah. Know them <laughs> thoroughly. Like, yeah. Sometimes it's, it's hard. Like, you know, sometimes I feel pressure to like, remember exactly, you know, that there's Tamdu in the circle and how old it is. And like, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's the cast makeup on like batch two versus batch four of, of the Glenalki 10. Um, probably helps a little bit. Like I'm kind of naturally just, you know, a little bit geeky with that stuff and I've got a good memory for it. That, that goes a long ways, but, um, you know, when you work with these brands, like I just find, like, I just want to drink it up all the time and, you know, literally too, but, but just the information as well. Like it's, there's just so much to soak in. And, you know, when, when I get an email from Compass box and it's like, you know, detailing some future release, it's like, you know, it's exciting. It's genuinely exciting. It's not, you know, my thought process isn't like, Oh, here's something that came down from the marketing department. You know, it's like, Oh wow. Like someone's doing something really cool. And, uh, you know, I get to go and sell it. Like that's, that's exciting to me. So I mean, that makes it easier for sure. For sure. And, but have I gotten them confused before? Probably. (laughs) That's, that's just you being human. Yeah. We, I don't even actually think we mentioned, but it's the, authentic wine and spirits portfolio. I don't even think that's correct. Yeah. Just, that's the overarching company. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they like, they've been authentic wine and spirits been around for. Yeah. So I was really time, fortunate right? when I came in, um, yeah. I, like I wasn't working specifically on the brands way I'm now. So we actually, we, there was another gentleman. I don't know if you've ever, ever met him. His name was Jay Wheelock. Oh, yes. ever meet Jay? We, yeah. We know Jay fairly well. Yeah. Yeah. So Jay was really my mentor and, uh, and ask for a better mentor, yeah. honestly. Oh, pure the, the best. Gay was pure the best. Gold. Yeah, he yeah. really set the gold standard. And you he know, if, when you look around at Canadian brand ambassadors, like you can see his mark like all over. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. Just like the style of how people do things, and um, you know, I still use tons of his taglines in my presentation. Like <laughs> he used to uh, joke about, you know, when he'd do Compass Box, he would joke about you know mixing Highland Park Thirty and McCallum Thirty and how they tasted better together and. You know, it's just all those little things that, but that were, uh, were they, a big deal for me. But, but the, the, like there's, there's a group of kind of the older class of a brand ambassador that obviously paved the way for a collection of amazing brand ambassadors yes. we have across this country. And you can see their mannerisms in kind of that have bred down into, into everybody, but they were not, they were, they were whiskey guys and, and women that were not afraid to cross any lines which is just added this whole like free spirit to the, to the position, I think in this, in this country. Yeah. And I feel like the Canadian brand ambassadors in particular, like really embraced 
this idea that I'm not just kind of like a shill for a brand that I'm getting a paycheck from. It's like, it's this more kind of in-depth like lifestyle and it's, yeah. it's more real. It and is. like Jay really was the one that to me, like he was the first guy I saw that I was like, Oh, a brand ambassador can be like this. Like I didn't realize that was a thing, you know? Yeah. But uh, it, it shows, yeah. I mean, the brand ambassador across the country, like they're allowed to be themselves and it's, you, yes. can tell, you can tell the ones that have, you know, come up through the ranks in the Canadian whiskey scene, drink scene versus, you know, the people that are just hired guns at the show that just stand there and, you know, and p- pitching them, yeah. pouring the product. But yeah. I mean, even like some of the festivals that I've been to where you have ambassadors that come up from the States and stuff, it's just totally different. And it's, it's a breath of fresh air to be honest, yeah. especially going, it? going through virtuals. Now you get, yes. to, you get to get a little bit more personal with, oh, without that personality, a virtual tasting would be full. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. D- doesn't it shock you? Cause I still, every once in a while, I'm part of a tasting where you kind of get that kind of spiel and it's like, how can this still be a thing? You know, like <laughs> yeah. it, it just doesn't play. I mean, maybe we live a little bit in a bubble, of course. Yeah. Where we're spoiled, but we're unique, um, I'm sure it's just, it's just hard to believe that, that, you know, that that still exists out there, but it does. And we, but in Canada, we're like, we talk about it all the time. We have a unique whiskey community in general. Yeah, we sure do. Drinker, drinker to ambassador to the point where we're one of the, like we're a small nation in comparison, but yet the largest distilleries and whiskey makers in the world, uh, not Alberta, Alberta, but Canada is on their map, right? They think, they think, well, what are we going to release for Canada? Because they know that we're such a passionate group. And that's yeah, yeah. But we <laughs> we get nostalgic all the time about it. <laughs> but, yeah, no, we are spoiled. We really yeah. are, and especially you know in Alberta, especially in Alberta, even though yeah. you're in BC. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, go Oilers. Um, so uh, <laughs> oh, we're in the same plight in that regard, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess. Okay, <laughs> you're off the hook then. Um, yeah. Do you find yourself gravitating to one brand more than any others? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. A personal I think that, favorite um, kind of thing or anything. Yeah, at times for sure. I think that it depends on the release schedule, right? Like, um, yeah, you know, like Compass Box is a great example. Like, I don't, you know, I haven't like fallen in love with every single Compass Box release, but there's been some that have been like a ten out of ten for me. So you know, there's times where I'm like, you know, really really into it, and other times where I'm like, you know what, this is for someone else. And I think that extends to all the brands, right? Like. Um, you know, for mixers, there's periods in my life where, you know, I'm a bit more into cocktails and I'm mixing at home. Yeah. Well, then mixers is really good to have around. But if I'm drinking, you know, if I'm drinking whiskey neat, I'd probably move away from mixers a little bit just because of like all the other great, you know, malt scotch whiskey that I've got. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, again, I, I'm kind of a unique position. I'm just kind of spoiled, you know, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. just always there's always good stuff coming down the pipe and it it feels like it's accelerating. Like, you know, some of the stuff coming from Gordon McPhail. I mean, we're releasing an 80 year old single malt this year. It's like, just wrap your head around that. Gordon McPhail, they've got like, they're an independent bottler with some of the most, like some of the richest stock in the world. It's insane. Like, you know, I, obviously I get to see behind the curtain a little bit and, you know, we get stock lists from them of things that they're bottling. And I look and I'm like, I guarantee you that five of these things that actual distillery doesn't have, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. Well, and they're releasing it. Does Tony have dozens of casks from the 70s in their warehouse? (laughs) Probably not. No, but, well, they probably do, but they all belong to Gordon McPhail, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know, but I'm just guessing based on on some of the stuff that I see. It's uh, it's fascinating. I couldn't even imagine what an 80-year-old whiskey would even taste like. Bob, yeah, yeah, it's it's a good question. I don't imagine it would taste Um, that good. (laughs) But, well, it's interesting because... um, that's a like lot of years in wood. Surge's site, Whiskey Fund, actually posted a review of it, which oh, really? almost feels like antithetical, but but it's there. So, and, um, but it's, it's worth reading, actually, because it kind of puts it in kind of perspective yeah. and gives it some context, which is kind of tough to do, right? Because there's nothing else really like it. And he's very unbiased with his reviews. Completely. Too, so, yeah, but that's a good place. That's a good source. Like, I even think back to like the tasting that we did at the one festival here. And there was what from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and up. And like, so yeah. it was like 55, 1955 or something like that. But even that was like, they, they had to bottle it because the ABV was like 40.1%. So it, you know, right. they're going to add something else to it to bring up the ABV, but and it just tastes like oak. Yeah, it was just like licking just wet wood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, like eighty-year-old whiskey. It like obviously everybody would want to try it. I don't think very many of us will get to try it. <laughs> no, no. But Gordon McPhail, what people don't talk about much is they they have always been responsible with how they deliver their their whiskeys yes. to the drinkers, or they. They still, even though they could gouge and, and make some more money, they're, they're, I don't know, like they're, they're dedicated to the drinker. I think first and foremost, just, just to deliver good whiskey for a good price. And that's just I, I love I working for them. For Absolutely them. love working yeah. for them. For me as a drinker, like I know if I'm buying something with the Gordon McPhail name on it, it's going to be quality. I've never bought a bottle mm-hmm. and like, I've had like samples through tastings and stuff where I'm like, I probably won't like this. And then it's like the one of that distillery. It's the only one I've ever enjoyed, which is crazy. And then obviously they've also bottled some of my favorite bottles of whiskey ever. So that well, we talked about Gordon McPhail earlier and how they've been, they've been a gateway into a distillery that we didn't drink before. It yeah, got, right. it's what got him onto Lechik and they've introduced me to other distilleries that I wasn't drinking before. And then it Glenn's yeah, of course, like the Gordon McPhail, Glenn Berge, wasn't that the, yep. the tenure yeah the glenbergie yeah and that started a whole year-long wave of glenbergie oh god glenbergie's been flying off the shelf like crazy <laughs> mainly, well mainly i can tell you there's more glenbergie coming it, before the end of the year <laughs> some like 20 25 year old glenbergies are coming down the bike from them oh, so tell josh <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it'll all be gone, gone. that, that peated have you ever had a peated glenbergie i have yeah, yeah it, i know very unusual um yeah, those a lot of those distilleries, right? They went through some of those phases where, you know, Diageo's, of course, famously when they when they rebuilt Calila, and you know, they were mm-hmm. pumping out peated malt from a whole bunch of their their malt distilleries. But uh, I think that's happened, kind of give and take, in a lot of times. So, um, yeah, I guess Ben Riek, another good example, right? Ben like, Riek, yeah. You could always do the math and figure out like there was those kind of mid '80s and mid '90s, like there was two brief periods where all the peated stock is from. Yeah. So, you know, when some of those releases came out, you could kind of do the math and realize like, just like when Bronick, you know, some of that whiskey was much older than the number oh, on the label. I want to go back. Cause yeah. you said there was some 10 out of 10 compass boxes. Can you name a couple? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this might be a bit controversial, but um, yeah, I was very fortunate. I started for compass box. The first thing that, that they released when I worked for them was, was the general. So 
I really oh. timed it well. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't own a bottle of the general. I was but, say, you, uh, didn't, you didn't bunker any of those? No, no. Um, I, I love the general. There's no doubt it, uh, you know, especially on the nose, like one of the most memorable, most aromatic whiskeys that I've ever encountered. But um, to be honest, if, if I had to choose between the general and three-year-old deluxe, I would choose the three-year-old deluxe. That three-year-old deluxe was so good. And it was sneaky. The, um, I think the secret of three-year-old deluxe and um, Tobias and the Angel was the same way is like those really old Klein leashes. You can't just pop and pour them. No. It doesn't work. They're too, they're too oily. They just, they need air. And I actually found that I really loved the three-year-old deluxe after like it had been open more than a year was when it, when it really, truly opened. So, I mean, that takes a bit of patience, but when it, when it got there, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, that's probably my, my 10 out of 10. If I was, you know, right at the top of the heap would be that probably. Well, I, I know like good our buddy, uh, down in Calgary, Danny, yeah. Danny, he's like probably the biggest compass box fan that I've ever known. And yeah. he tasted, I think there was like three of them when he was in San Francisco, a bar had them and he tasted them and he like tried to buy what was left in each bottle from the bar. And they're like, not a chance. <laughs> I think he's, yeah. I, he's found a bottle of the ones that he was looking for, but the general I know for sure was on that list. And yeah. he raved, which, about yeah, which he tried for the first time then, but yeah, the three O deluxe, I had a, a sample of it and it was a sample from like the bottom half of a bottle. And it was, ex- I just remember it being extremely, extremely good. And it was one of the reasons like, it was before I even owned a compass box. And it was one of the reasons why I started buying compass box. Yeah. Just a very fascinating, you know, the whole story, um, and then just, you know, to put that little touch of Tausker in there, I know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just very interesting. It's always just those um, touches though with compass box that like totally turn the whiskey to the next level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite label for compass box probably was, um, this is not a luxury whiskey. That's yeah. I always, yeah, that's, <laughs> you, that's the favorite. Yeah. One of, and, and it's good too. It's delicious, but it's like that, yeah. that branding on that bottle is mint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I feel like, um, yeah, I'm going to be a little critical of compass box here. I feel like they haven't really gone out on a ledge quite that same way as they did with those two releases in a while. For sure. Staying in the um, box a little bit more than they're, they were. Yeah, it's been more subtle. I think it's, it's not as like explicit, like in your face with a lot of that kind of messaging anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that it has to be, you know, there's still some interesting releases obviously coming down the pipe, but um, like, you know, for instance, the menagerie kind of struck me as a bit of a, you know, slap in the face of kind of the idea that, you know, in the whiskey business, we shouldn't talk about like, you know, an old Scottish man in like a leather chair by the fire anymore. And then they release <laughs> no. like exactly the whiskey for that scenario <laughs> in the menagerie. Yeah. Like they don't explicitly state that, but clearly that is, you know, part of the subtle message. One, one thing I've actually always wanted to ask around, we're not even, just so everyone knows, we're actually going to get into Glen Alecky, but we're yeah. on, we're on, we're on. Well, I was going to ask though, it's, I've always wanted to ask someone around the brand, the, the name compass box, cause there's some irony in it, in the sense that right. Following a compass and, and inside the box, is there anything yeah. have you heard? Yeah, it, it, no, for sure. The, um, the name comes from the idea of the craftsmanship. So okay. you know, historically the compass was so valued on the ship mm-hmm. that it was stored, you know, it was, it was kind of the most valuable thing on the, on the boat. So often the boxes that it came in were quite ornate and they were like often these one-offs. Uh, okay. So that's, that's the connection. That's the connection. See, I, yeah. 
I figured it's like the one thing that compass box is not following is the compass. And the one thing that they aren't is inside the box. Yeah. I think there's, I don't think you're wrong in implying that there's some layers to the name. There's gotta be, uh, but anyways, as I digress, we will let's, we're getting, I know like Sean's, I was going to go like tapping his, should we talk about Glen Alecky a little bit? He's grinding. He's grinding. Got some whiskey in our glasses. Well, just the compass box. I was going to go dark cloud on that too. Oh, here we go. We'll wait. We'll (laughs) save, save that for another episode there. (laughs) We'll definitely have James on for a compass box. Yeah. We'll we'll deep dive into that another time. (laughs) With all the brands that he has, he could be, he could be like a A co-host for like four months. A monthly contributor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's get into Glenalkey. Now, the f- we've got in front of us, thanks to James, we got all five batch releases of the 10 year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Technically, there has been a batch six. It's on a boat ooh, on its yeah. way here. That's right. But um, all the five, you know, five, five, you know, 55 plus percent alcohol 10 year olds, I thought was enough in one lineup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to be sipping lightly as we usually do. But um, so why don't you. <clears throat> Before we yeah, before we get into it, maybe just introduce us to Glenalkey because not everybody's uh, drinks Glenalkey. Uh, yeah, give us your elevator pitch on the brand. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, kind of unique. The um, you know, I'm used to working with a lot of Scotch distilleries where you know you kind of are talking about this like 200 year or you know kind of Patterson Crash era, you know, late 1800s distilleries, but Glenalkey um, dates from the 1960s. So. Yeah, it was a distillery built by um, William Delmy Evans, the same guy that uh, designed Jura. Um, t- I believe Tullibarden as well. So he's oh, kind of the guy. Sorry, that, I like, my mouth a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, you love young Tullys, don't you? I, no, I, I, no, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't they're... mind Tullys. I don't mind Tullys. Yeah, it's yeah. more so the the, the other Jura, Jura, Jura. Jura. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's another <laughs> another pod. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so. Yeah, this distillery was uh, kind of unique because really it was probably at the time, you know, the state of the art distillery in the entire business. Um, it actually had been designed around some principles of gravity flow, which now, you know, given this era we live in of like, you know, obviously that's a common thing in the wine business. Um, you know, it was a way in some ways to create more automation mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, get more control over the process. But um you know, there was a lot of innovations in that distillery that were then, you know, kind of taken and copied in other, uh, in other distilleries. So, but really for what we're talking about today, I think, you know, the, um, you know, the important moment was in 2017, uh, when the distillery was sold, um, by Pernod Ricard and, and Chivas brothers to, um, Graham Stevenson and Trish Savage. And, uh, yeah, who's, there was a third, who, you know, who the third, Sean, do you know, who the Sean, third can was? you, uh, do you know who the who's third, the third? Uh, the third uh, owner name escapes me. I William something? Bill, was it a William? Yeah, yeah William, William. William, don't call me. Was it his, his name? Doesn't run runner Johnny? Is it William Runner? <laughs> no, <Yeah>. runner jogger, <laughs> uh, crawler. Again, there <laughs> is it Bill, Billy. Don't call me Texas Ranger Walker. Is I think that's the one? that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Billy Walker, uh, of course. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, that was a big deal because uh, that, you know, I'm sure you guys remember, it's almost like one of those things where you like remember where you were when you heard it. Um, you know, oh, yeah. we had been quite sad because we were just coming off of losing Glendronic and Ben Rick and Glenglassa. 
so, you know, it was kind of like a time of mourning, obviously. And then this news came out and it was like, you know, how do we get these guys on the phone and make sure that we're, you know, still, uh, still in business together. So, and thankfully that all worked out, but, um, <laughs> yeah, part of the sale, of course, you know, there was 25,000 casks in the warehouse, um, going back to 1978. So, you know, I mean, that sounds like fun to me. Um, I, you know, I can't say that I blame them for, uh, kind of delving into that. But so that, um, that leads to one of our questions. Like they obviously, they obviously knew the consortium yeah. that bought Glen Alecky knew what was there, but did nobody else know? Like, was it this closely guarded secret? Were only Chivas and Billy Walker's group the only ones that knew? Yeah, it seems odd that no one else would have you would identified th- and purchased it. Yeah, before. you would think with that yeah. much age well, stock that a bigger, you know, one of the huge consortiums would be after something like that. Yeah. Okay. So I guess what I would say is, first of all, um, you know, obviously I wasn't involved directly with, with these types of sales, but, um, you know, you Billy weren't. had, yeah, no, they no, didn't I ask just, you to sign off on it. it. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> but no, Billy had worked with Shivas. Like he purchased both, um, Ben Rick and Glendronic from Shivas. So there's some history there. And yeah. as you guys know, like the Scotch business is tight, right? I mean, we like to think of these companies as like these big conglomerates, but you know, a lot of the people in Diageo and Chivas have worked for each other and like, it's, it's a tight community. Right. Um, mm. so, you know, the, if you ever read Richard Patterson's book, um, you know, he talks about like the types of like, you know, scotch lunches where deals would get done. And, you know, that's kind of how I picture these types of deals happening. I'm sure it was a little bit like that, but, uh, if you look at the bigger picture for Chivas, I think it makes more sense. Um, as you guys know, like Aberlore is currently, you know, getting ripped apart and expanded. Um, mm-hmm. Glenlivet, which is part of Shiv, you know, that's kind of the crown in Chivas's portfolio. Like they now are making 21 million liters a year, I think. Um, and the other one that they own crazy. is, um, you know, on the old Imperial site, they built like a mega distillery, right? Dalmanac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how many, how many casks of Dalmanac do you think are sitting in Chivas warehouses in Glasgow? Like it's gotta be thousands. There's gotta yeah. be. Yeah. We we have, right? a, Del- we have a Delmanac coming with okay. a, brand, a single cast. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say I, yeah. like this is something that uh I remember seeing another presentation. Someone was asking, like, you know, how much Rosile casks are there sitting somewhere that are unreleased? Like, I don't know, maybe like are you drink if you drink Johnny Walker, are you drinking Rosile? I don't know. Probably are, actually. But you don't know, right? Yeah. But uh, the point is that something like Glenalki is maybe less important because, you know, this is a distillery that was designed from the ground up as mm-hmm. being more, you know, we talk about like blending distilleries, but really like, I think it's more fair to say like more of a workhorse because, you know, as we know, a lot of these workhorse distilleries do produce good, you know, they produce good fluid, like, yeah. you know, Glenn Berkey, there's great uh-huh. Glenn talkers out there, you know, um, you know, compass box has bottled some great Glenn Lossy, even though it doesn't say it on the label. So I, I think, it would be fair to kind of put Glen Alki in that category of, you know, any Scotch whiskey distillery that, you know, has been operating that long. And, you know, we kind of have this idea of like the distilleries are on tiers and that some are just like automatically better than others. But I think there's a lot more nuance to it than that. Well, there's and still, I think there's probably all the distilleries. Whiskey. Yeah. There's still good yeah, whiskey people in all those distilleries. It's just funny how like there's so many distilleries that were just viewed as, just distilleries that fed the blends they just feed the yes. blends. so they must 
there must not be any substance to them almost, right? Like they've yeah. been ignored well, for so long. Ben was in that category too. Yeah. Right? It's, it's At one crazy. time. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I really, really enjoy Ben Riak. Yeah. I like Billy Walker, Ben Riak better, but. Yeah. So the interesting thing to look <laughs> back on that now is, and I think, you know, they're very, or were very conscious of that when they started is that, you know, Gwendronic had this very definable character mm-hmm. um, and they went in a very specific direction. Like, you know, it's, it's easy to describe what Glendronic is and uh, the kind of the, the greater context, whereas Ben Riak kind of became a little bit more of an experimentation space and it never really developed like an identity, um, even oh, though they yeah. did have success with it. And I'm sure you guys have had some of like the crazy single cast that came to the market and, you know, it was a lot of fun, but um, yeah, yeah but you ahead. went, you like go in the, to the glass, like I, I'm just thinking to myself, going to the glass of wine and beyond and you've got, yeah. you've got this, heavily peated 22 year and then you've got this 21 year that's in four different woods which granted is one of the newer ones and then you had an all sherry and then you had a bourbon and then you had like it was just such a mix that you're like yeah totally like, what what's been what is ben Riak really going for here right yeah it felt like well and you know i had the, the great fortune of going into the warehouses there and that's cool you know the brand ambassador Stuart like was tasting us on his favorite casks and it felt like they were just plain it really did Hmm. Um, and you know, I think they had a lot of successes and some that were just kind of, you know, probably fell more in that experiment category, but, um, yeah. So anyways, I think the unique thing about Glenalki is, you know, they had this unique, like starting from scratch moment that, you know, is an opportunity you don't get because the other thing too, there wasn't any established brand identity for Glenalki in the market. And that's really unusual. So you know, it, it, there is a blank canvas. And I don't think that when they started and, you know, just based on being in those initial meetings and tasting the first core range they released, I don't think they necessarily knew when they started the direction that, you know, they've ended up now. I think they kind of thought, let's do this, this, and this, and kind of see what comes out the other end and then kind of steer it, you know, push the ball downhill um, to where kind of the best fit is, as opposed to just treating it like that canvas. Um, like they did at Ben Riek. Well, and like that was one of the questions we had for this interview was when they when Billy Walker took over, was it did he bring the ethos from Glendronic and directly impart it onto what he had available um, at Glenalkey? Because uh, like obviously you see a lot of the stuff that's age that he took over and he did the cast finishing on it to bring it to whatever, you know, highly more high sherry content, stuff like that, which is obviously what Glendronic was known for. So that's one of the questions I've always had was, did he just immediately take what he was doing at Glendronic and apply it onto Glenalkey? Or was it like you said, kind of just experimenting a bit at the beginning and deciding where it would go? He can only do it so much though, because the stock is going to be, Different. Well, and you can't, you can't just fill, I mean, look at what Glendron's facing now. You can't just fill like 2 million liters a year into first fill sherry butts and be a, a viable business. No. It's not yeah. a thing. No. So like even Glenalki now, like they're only filling 20% of their whiskey to first fill sherry as it comes off the stills. So, you know, it's, it's actually not a lot, but, you know, I guess, you know, to get more specific on the question, um, you know, obviously Billy has contacts for those casks. And so, you know, the bodega that he works with came, came with him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there's a connection there. And I think you can, let's face it, you can taste that in the whiskey. Like there's clearly some, some similarities, um, yeah. especially in the ones that have, you know, had time, you know, the last three, four years in those first fill that, you know, I'm guessing some of the whiskey we're trying today probably falls in that category. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And well, maybe we should actually talk about the whiskey we're, we're trying today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're into batch one and batch two. We got in front yeah. of us. So yeah, so which are very different. different in color um, yeah. than the most recent batches. I was just going to. That's the first thing you notice. It's the obvious. <laughs> like, huh? Weird. They are way, way lighter. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was easy to see. So this is what's unique, right? Is that they released. I mean, you guys know, like they are right across the street from Aberlour, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Stone's Throw is a lot of other distilleries that are making this kind of like full bodied you know, lots of sherry butts around, you know, Glenn Farkless is down the road, McCallum's across the street, um, Ben Rennes is across the street. You know, it's, there's definitely some parallels. Um, I need to build a house on this street, this magical street. No Sometimes, <laughs> real estate. Sometimes real estate's pretty expensive right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's all about getting water. If you don't need water, it's probably cheap. Yeah, more you're just like than Vancouver, maybe. I don't need long, water. Long, I just need whiskey. Yeah, you just need whiskey. <laughs> a little funnel from all four corners around. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's a magical land where the rivers are whiskey. Everything's whiskey, right? It's like Charlie's Chocolate Factory. Just yeah. Sean can just <laughs> sign a deal to like use leftover process water from one of these distilleries as his like water source. He's like, no, I won't even use the like the public tap water. <laughs> just give me, <laughs> give me like yeah. the stuff that pumps out at the end. Out of the out of the wart, just filter out the yeah. solids and give me the water. I'm I'm good. <laughs> so the two, uh, well, actually, before we even get into these, what what do you think? Set like like you said, like we've talked about. There's it's a it's like a epicenter for distilleries that, yeah. like you said, stone throws away. What what do you think separates Glenalgie from, well, from all think, the rest of these space side distilleries? Yeah, the reason the site was chosen at Glenalgie is um, so they they share a water source with. Ben Rennes, um, which is famously, you know, a very, very cold, mm-hmm. you know, very soft water um, source. So, you know, it's considered like one of the best water sources, I think, in, in all of Scotland. So that contributes to that heavier style because the water is so ice cold. Um, so you're, you're shortening the amount of reflux in, uh, in the condensers. And, you know, Glenelki has these kind of unusual condensers. They're actually, uh, they're horizontal. Okay. As far as I know, they're the only distillery in Scotland with horizontal with condensers. Hot. Interesting. So like normally you see that condenser, you know, just comes straight out and almost like goes straight down beside the still. These kind of run sideways and that it was all about that gravity flow, right? Yeah. So by doing that, you could eliminate one more point where you'd have to like, you know, pump something back up into a tank. So yeah, this 10 year old at first, I kind of thought was a little unusual because of course they had, you know, initially they had a 12 and an 18 and then this like random 10 year old cast strength. But, um, you know, I think it was a way of, you know, in creating this brand and, you know, they were committed to age statements of kind of doing something a little bit different than because a lot of the non-age statement stuff in this category, most of them don't have age statements. So that was that was a very purposeful kind of like jab, I think. For sure. But it's also but as as Billy Walker and team knows, it's important to have a cast strength offering to draw yes. in the enthusiasts versus just the yes. tracker, right? So, yeah, it, uh, it gets attention and like, lo and behold, like now, I mean, the 10 year old really is probably the one that now has caused the biggest stir, you Absolutely. know, out of all their releases. Yeah. So that, it, that was a, a pretty smart decision, I would say. 
Some would say he's done, some, he's done something like this before. Yeah, weird. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. It sounds vaguely <laughs> familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, he's. I think he's been in the industry. Yeah, there's for, a formula for sure. A couple yeah, of years, it's... I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first, the first two that we're trying, batch one and batch two, there. I find that the like front of the palette is very similar, but batch mm. two is just way more oak and yes, yeah, a bit of more that because there's a little bit more sherry in. And it just like not? it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, there is. like they both yeah. hit pretty heavy on the front. And then as they go back, um, the batch two kind of well once more. one fades into like brighter fruit taste, yeah. the other one fa- or finishes in like a darker, darker fruit yeah. taste. Kind of thing, yeah. yeah, in general, something that I notice is kind of the character of Glen Allocate, in particular these these um, ten year olds, is the way that they expand on the back of your palate and they finish like very long and kind of like spread like across your mouth. It's it's very kind of a distinct character that kind of comes more into focus in batch two. And like, you can see that same character in three, four and five mm-hmm. batch one to me, like the way the alcohol works and kind of the finish, um, like it tastes a little bit more raw. I think there's the virgin oak kind of sticks out a little bit more. Um, so it's there's, good. there's more virgin oak in the earlier releases. Right. And it kind of fades out or as the batches go on. What's the rough like composition of oak? I don't know the exact number, but, uh, but yeah, the, the three there's virgin oak bourbon and sherry in the first one. Right? Yeah, and same in the second one, just different percentages, basically, right? Really, yeah. Okay. Whereas now, I think batch six is like just—I think it might be just sherry. I'll have to yeah. double check that. Well, but based on yeah. color, you can see it's gone even that batch way. five that we have. Like the here. first first one is a few percent higher in ABV too, which would probably yeah. There's a bit of an up and down there as yeah. well, for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah, you were interesting. That, yeah, batch one and two are kind of like outliers. I think like historically they they look a bit anachronistic now because you know initially I, like I think two. I like batch yeah. two. When we did that tasting last month, batch two out of the whole um like the whole range actually stood out to me as being one of my favorites. If um I was gonna say what occurred to me is that you know, someone's gonna ask you, like, well, what is like Glenallergy distillate like what is the character of the distillery and the, the actual loot itself like the 10 year old batch tube might show that off better than any other whiskey they've made because it has that like distinct honey notes mm-hmm. um again it has that kind of mouthfeel that to me is is distinct to the brand and is very different than glendronic's mouthfeel very different um, yeah. yeah it's it's a bit less dank than glendronic yeah, quite a bit less like dank it's not as yeah, Glendronach is like just thick, right? Yeah, yeah it's this muddy. Is a little, this it's is more, greasy. Yeah, this is more a little bit more bright, more greasy is yummy. a great way to put it. Greasy. Well, that's, well, like that's, that's the Jay Wheelockism, actually. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. Uh, like you yeah. think about it, you think of like, greasy, yeah. like a double cheeseburger from McDonald's, like that grease from it. Not that it's off-putting, but it like sticks to your mouth. And yeah. I get that from especially the the unicorn Glendronic bottles that. You just you That's just compared Glendronic to the cheapest cheeseburger, cheapest the cheapest hamburger. <laughs> you know what? They're both the world. They're both delicious. So. <laughs> I don't know if that was on purpose or is that if that was just sub- subconsciously no, but be, taking shots. Like, but like yeah. I'm I'm picturing in my head the 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 unicorn 2013 12 year old, which is yeah. obviously way older whiskey in it. For but sure. yeah, it, it does it like more than just coats your mouth like it actually like sticks to all like your roof the roof of your mouth mm-hmm. oh and like coats your teeth it's like eating yeah. like when you eat like a some sort of candy or whatever yeah. and you get that film on your teeth yeah glendronic 
Whereas, whereas the Glen Alkey and like just the first two here, like it's way cleaner, I guess is a way to fresher. Yeah. Fresher, fresh. It's not greasy. It's not. Yeah. Well, I was going to say like, if we're going to compare the two, which I think is, is fair. Um, you know, you'll appreciate this shot. No, 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 of course. No, I'm happy to, you know, I was the one that had to sell, believe it or not, Sean, in the early days, like pouring Glendronic for people, people hated it. Like, yes, there was that niche, like sherry bomb lover, but like even amongst people that loved whiskey, people would taste Glendronic. And like, I think it had a lot to do with that. Like, you know, there's a lot of fruit in it all the time. Even the ones with dried fruit, like it's earthy. Yeah. You know, it's just a whole mix of like, you know, like the stuff you scrape off the bottom of a pan after you cook meat. Like that's what Glendronic sometimes tastes like. You know, yeah, and not it, everyone yeah, was into dank. that. It's a meaty, savory sherry. Yeah, it's oh, like do you think like the essence of dank? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah that is dank. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. like they're they're partly to, or if not mostly, um, I don't know, responsible for even I think starting this whole sherry crazed whiskey. Yeah, I think world, you're right. right. Like everybody, well, because there's nothing else quite head. that extreme out yeah. there. You know, they're probably now, still now there is like that. It's right beside your head like what? that the edredor well yeah now yeah. now there is but, but yeah you would dronich was kind of pioneering yeah you would cold, never see those yeah. sherry kind of cola bar cola dark bottles released right unless it was like an old paxed like yeah exactly. something from the yeah. 70s or <laughs> yeah i have one yeah. from, the, from the 60s has got a little packs in it that's really yeah i think that's a positive yeah like look the whole conversation about sherry i mean you guys must think this too like you know, I've been working for Glendronic and now Glen Alecky and Gordon McPhail, you know, and I've heard spiels about, you know, sherry casks 10,000 times. Sometimes I feel like I know less now about sherry casks than when I started <laughs> in the business. For like, sure. It's actually confusing. Oh, yeah. You know, you, like you differentiating s- between the American oak, the, yeah. you know, the ex bodega versus transport casks versus yeah. season. Ca- like, it's actually very complicated. But I think distilleries even find it complicated. That's why they're yeah, just, I agree. They're putting sherry on it. They don't want to get into yeah. the details of what kind of sherry because it's, they're just going to confuse no. their drinker, right? Yeah. No, oh, someone's yeah. going to run with that at some point, though, in marketing and realize that, like, you know, there's a point of differentiation. You know, I think that all the, you know, all the visibility and, and sort of, you know, exposing what's exactly in your whiskey, I think that's something that's going to increase going forward. And it should, you know, it should. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. I'm all like for full it. transparency should be like a standard and yeah, because it's not, you sometimes are left with a secret space side sherry yeah. and you're like, as soon as you taste it, you know what sherry's in it. But why not put that on the bottle? Whereas, you know, even the, like the Distel brands, like we were talking about, like they're pretty, pretty forthcoming with what type of sherry barrels they've used. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for me, like, I've never had an Amontillado sherry cask whiskey before. So knowing that that's what it is, I'm like, okay, cool. And then you can associate with it. Yeah. Whereas you see sherry and well, there's, you know, yeah. When it's generic, I'm always like a little, I just assume that it's probably American oak seasoned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Or like Oloroso. Cause you know, you go from yeah. Oloroso to PX on the sweet side and that's a big jump, yeah. but like, is it Fino, which is going to taste like olive brine or is it, you know, PX, which is, you know, yeah. sugary yeah. syrup, you know? So I don't yeah. know. Hopefully one day we'll see it. But one, one thing we're still waiting for those Japanese distilleries <laughs> to pick up on too. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. 
That's a good point. <laughs> like they, 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 some of the most random, exp- <laughs> random and most limited explanations on whiskey ever. Yeah, and then you drink it and you're like, oh, this is Ben Nevis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, uh, by the way, Billy was. Oh, I think he was sniffing around there at Ben Nevis at one point. I, I don't doubt it at all. Um, yeah. So, Billy, well, do you, do you want to, <laughs> Sean, why don't you ask some questions <laughs> about Billy? I don't want to take the spotlight from you. I'm sure you've listened to our podcast, so you, you've heard my <laughs> rants. The one question that basically that comes to mind and I've used as my point of reference is, you know, everybody goes on, you know, he's built and rightfully so he's got this mythical aura about him in the whiskey industry, but he goes by master distiller. And to me, like, I don't, and by all means you can counterpoint after, but to me, he isn't a master distiller because he hasn't worked with anything he's personally distilled. He took over Glendronic and had this massive amount of crazy good aged stock. And it was almost to the point where the stuff he actually distilled was going to be coming out and then he sold it off. And then he took over Glen Alkey, which 25,000 barrels of aged stock. And then he's, you know, been able to put his finishing touches on it. So to me, it's like master distiller to me is a miss. It's taking away from the people that have actually done the distilling. Whereas he's right. like a master of wood management. And he's obviously got an amazing palate and knows and can blend everything and knows exactly what he's going for. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from that side of it. Cause he's clearly a master of what he's doing, but it's just yeah. like, and now at Glen Alkey, to me, I mean, knowing his age and everything, and when the stuff he's distilling is going to be ready, more than likely he's going to retire and leave it to somebody else. Totally. Okay. So, yeah, I've got a few thoughts there for sure. So, um, first of all, what I'll say is that, you know, if you think about some of the other companies that I've worked for, so, you know, White Mackay comes to, to mind or Burglady, you know, those brands, when you think about like their connection to like, you know, Jim McHugh, like they kind of treated the people at the top, almost like these icons. And they really like doubled down on making the whiskey about the person. Um, I think with Billy, that has not happened on purpose. Um, in fact, when, when they launched Glen Alecky, you know, they were blunt with us and said, like, this is not about Billy Walker. Like, you know, I think they were quite blunt that they, you know, there's lots of people involved in the project. You know, Billy has this vision, but, you know, they're conscious of the fact that there's a lot of other elements at play and that, you know, of course, yeah, you're right. I mean, Billy's in his, I guess he's in his late seventies. So yeah, it can't just like the train can't go forever, obviously. And, you know, in the time frames that we deal with in Scotch whiskey, it's like, you know, we're always thinking like 20, 30, 40 years from now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess some of the things that come to mind immediately is, you know, a Glendronic, like, I don't think any of us have tasted anything he distilled there. Have you? Uh, There's nothing on the market. On, so he, he would have started no, in the market, late yeah. 2008. Yeah. So 2008. So no. no, because we haven't had There's that, that 2009 that was um, on the shelves in Alberta. That would have been his stuff. And I know that was pretty well yeah. reviewed by Sean. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but even yeah. like when you're, 
I, I, a good value whiskey like at the yeah. local liquor store in my neighborhood is 55 bucks like yeah can't go wrong yeah. uh, i think i think part of part of the the billy leaving glendronic and the decrease in the glendronic fanfare has a lot to do with the people that took over after billy and what they're well, doing to it well uh, yeah. yeah okay I'll, I'll tell you guys a little <laughs> anecdote that i think will kind of make sense yeah we we kind of think of it almost i think as if like glendronic is like literally picking different casks now and like doesn't the good casks are gone i think it's a bit more complicated than that i think that uh, you know <laughs> they would have paid brown foreman we're talking about would have paid you know an enormous amount of money for these distilleries like it's it's business you know whereas for billy billy it's a business too but but it's it's a bit of a different perspective so you know i was um you know i happened to be there when they were um, fatty, one of the batches of 21 year old that went out three butts went into the batch of 21. Okay. There was two PX casks and one Oloroso. This would have been about 2013 at the time. Crazy. Jeez. How old were those? So could they could tell you how old those casks actually were. Yeah, you could see. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think two of them were from 1990. And okay. I think one was an, um, I can't remember. I've got a picture of it somewhere, but, um, you know, the point being like, you know, that was the scale, you know, I think we, in Alberta, you know, you could get Glendronic everywhere and there was all these single casts and stuff, but really it's, and it's true of, of Glenallachie now, you know, it's, it's a small operation, you know, mm -hmm. they're not pumping out. Well, if, you know, if you were trying to run more of a business and you're now, you know, maybe part of more of a global supply chain and you're, you know, trying to expand into these new markets and get distribution in different countries, like, Making a batch with three barrels is not going to fly. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> no, you know, because you're not going to be able to supply to all your markets. Period. So it's different standards, right? I mean, so now the challenge for them, I think, is and truthfully, I think, you know, they're, they're not doing a terrible job of it is, you know, kind of creating that type of like slightly more mass market brand. I mean, you guys, I mean, I don't know. I tried Bomar 18 the other day. You know, it's 43 percent. I imagine they're making a fair bit of that pretty good you know it feel, feels like they've yeah. zeroed in on something pretty awesome um you know there's a there's a bunch of those and so i think that you know comparing glendronic now to the old glendronics kind of like isn't even fair because that's you know it's not and truthfully a lot of the people that will start drinking glendronic now won't care you know no they won't and i think that's also part of the the issue is that it's like when you think if you separate the two it it almost just, it makes like a Glendronic drinker uncomfortable knowing, yes. knowing what the brand is now being that they are like, just even to see Glendronic pushing like cocktail use and stuff, you're just like, totally. what, the yeah, it's, it's strange. what the heck is going on? Yeah. Like this is, it just, I think it's, it just like, because become so foreign for a brand that has had the most diehard drinkers yeah out of almost any any distillery in the world at that for that matter like it's yeah, yeah it's just it's um, just become it's become bizarre right bizarre I, like, I think it's there's so much psycho psychology at play like almost even more so than the actual whiskey itself mm -hmm. um you know i i noticed because you know having sold glendronic and it was an uphill battle for a long time and yeah. i'll tell you the second that they sold the distillery i was getting 10 emails a day about glendronic it was like the second we told people they couldn't get it, it became like the golden calf. It really, that was the thing. It wasn't that they had a release like 
yes, there was those of us that stocked up on like, you know, 2013 12s and, you know, 2015 15s and like some of these like epic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or even I, if you tried like, you know, the, the 2020 edition of the 21 year old, like, Oh yeah. They still are hitting when they hit, but uh, for sure. Yeah, it's, just, it's different. Yeah. And that, that's where like me personally and a lot of people I'm sure can't help, but admire the genius that is Billy Walker and what he's done for those brands globally before he, yeah. before he, he sold them off to a conglomerate and now he's on to another pet project. And it's, I'm curious to see where Glenalki is in five to 10 years. Totally. Yeah. Something I hear all the time on the road is people say like, Oh, he's just like pumping up on algae now to sell it. Or, you know, he just kind of like milked Glendronic. It's like, so what, even if that is what he did, which I don't really view it that way personally, but I think he's at so what? too late in life. He's, I think he's too, like, he's so He's it like he's like we said he's in his seventies. Yeah, if he was a forty-year-old, yeah, forty-year-old, he can't just it. keep turning over distillers at this point. At some point, he's got to yeah. kind of develop his like a legacy, and he's got to stick with one. I would think if I if I were him, that's what I want to do. Right? It's like a it's like Jerome McGinley going to play for Colorado or, or yeah, whoever, Boston. Right? You're just yeah, or Boston. You're just like okay, your career would have been more admired if you just would have went out with with one on one, the team that you stuck with for a long yeah. period of time, right? He's, he's got an opportunity to build a new legacy and go out with it. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I guess the other thing that came to mind when you were, you know, um, thinking about this question was, you know, even before Billy became so well known for, you know, the stuff he did at Ben Rick and now when Alki, you know, he was the operations director at Distal. So if you think about, all those great distal products that I know you guys are into. I mean, yep. Mike has, you know, brought those all to us. He's hypnotized like, the nation. <laughs> <laughs> kind of did actually. Did. Yeah. Totally if you ever want to have an example of how brand ambassadors can <laughs> have a real impact, he's the obvious example. He's um, the most modern example. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause like, can you imagine like, would you even know what Deanston was, right? Like it would be in that same category as like, manic more in your head right yeah, like I literally just looked up at the deanston bottles in this office here and was like oh, i would have no, never drank right. deanston other no, than like a virgin oak because it was like somebody gave it to me because it was cheap yeah, yeah exactly but uh yeah I, you know my point was going to be that a lot of those you know those were distilled under billy's you know billy's time and when yeah. he worked for them that is true so which is which he wasn't the you know, make your head explode a little bit. Distiller, but, but <laughs> no, he but he was distiller, but very he was involved in production. Strings, uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And he, he was the, like, he was really part of that vision, right? You can see the vision that he has applied to the Ben Rhea company, Glen and you can see that footprint in distal for sure. Yeah, you can, you absolutely yeah. can. Yeah. Like I, I've never taken anything away from other than the fact that <laughs> oh, he's coming around. He, you know, we know what he's going to be looking up. Uh, well, you know what we're going to have to do? Face tattoos. So, well, the, the final thing that we'll talk about his legacy as a distiller. There's, well, there's two things. Number one, um, some of the words. So uh, Glenn Glass is starting to release like 10 year old single yeah. casks to the market. Yep. And like some of the word I'm hearing from these is that they're spectacular. That like the Glenn, the Glenn Glass that they distilled is like, really really Insane great good yeah yeah that's that's kind of what i've heard i've heard it from a few places um so that'll be interesting to watch the other thing is that um and you know i can't talk too much about this but there is well you know this is kind of the next topic where there's going to be some peated whiskey coming down the pipe from from glenallaki yeah and i, I think it's about that 
Yeah, I can't say a lot about it. Um, you know, I'll let them release, but um, I, I think that this is going to be, I think it's going to be really big. I think it's going to be, people are going to see it and kind of see what it's about. And um, some there's some real innovation in the distilling. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to get my hands on it. And they haven't released a peated whiskey ever in the past no think, right so no i don't think you know they had never distilled um peated malt in the past but um i think the first peated malt came up distills in april 2018 so like they have peated whiskey and you know they're peating at um 80 ppm and Holy shit. Just, okay, they're going big time then oh yeah they're going big yeah. and uh you know it there's let's just say there's there's some twists and turns in in the production and uh, I think, yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think it's possible that down the road that Glenalki is known more for peated whiskey. Let's put it that way. That'd be insane. To that be would known be insane. Uh, from what they are known for right now. Yeah. Being known as a peated distiller. Well, yeah. Glenalki has this weird setup too in their production. Again, you know, all these unique things they did. They have two separate spirit safes for each set of stills. So they can actually be doing like two completely different things simultaneously. Oof. Well, I love sherry peated whiskey. So if they do that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. At some we point in your life, you will be, you will be drinking Billy, Billy Walker's sherry peated whiskey, yeah. and the light will shine down from heaven on Sean. I'm willing. And Billy's for... face will come out and say, "Sean, there's gonna there's, come to the light." There are going to be a few people listening to this podcast when I release it that are going to be clapping their hands and, or laughing at Sean. One yeah. of the two. Yeah. Billy can win me back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Sean that you've uh, stood your ground. I uh, and haven't backed down. I actually I respect that because yeah. Look, I mean, look. I think it's we should be critical. You know, it's okay to be critical of the sherry and the caramel use at, from Richard Patterson, but he's still done some of the best. You know, blending of single malts in history. So you know, you can be both. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. I'm like yeah. I've I've never said that i didn't like anything that he put out <laughs> no. it's just you've yeah, he's been painted in a weird picture i i think it's weird too sometimes that people put him on this pedestal and treat him like some sort of like golden god and yeah. it, it is weird it is weird. like he, he he has not asked for that oh no that's, just, that's for sure i'm sure he's not the one out there not at all <laughs> tooting his own horn <laughs> no no he doesn't yeah. even go on the road to promote his stuff yeah no. exactly no yeah. but he's also getting up there in age so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we should cake. So we I poured the batch three, batch four, batch five, yeah. and like first things first, just color different, different, different. But even like the batch yeah. batch five is even darker than batch four. Obviously, we're getting more sherry to the point where we are almost all sherry, right? Yeah, batch three. I would say I'll, I'll go on record and say that when we got the new fifteen year old. Because of course they launched that the first batch, and we got batch three of the ten year old around the same time, and like that was to be honest, that was kind of a light going off for me, where I realized like, oh, this is this is going to be a thing, like this is the direction they're clearly going, and it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, that the batch three ten year old was the first whiskey that I had from Glenalkey that I thought was like, you know, really stood out and was unique and had kind of a character that. You know, it was like you couldn't really compare it to, you know, the Aberler cast strength. You couldn't really compare it to Tamdu Batch. Like it had its own character and I, you know, it, it's kind of carved out its own niche. And, uh, you know, there's something recognizable there. It's still still got a little bit of that 
great character from the bourbon and the virgin oak for sure yeah yeah there is a bit for sure yeah which which i like honestly it's but it also like there's this range this range really shows the like how i'm trying to think of the way to say it but almost like how malleable the spirit is maybe or that's not really the right word um well it is i get what you're saying it's yeah yeah, like Glenalogy is kind of this unique character where there is kind of some floral, like lifted qualities to it. And mm-hmm. you get that's to me, that's the honey notes. Mm-hmm. But all Glenalogies tend to have that honey note to them. Um, but there's also a bit of like body to it. Like, you know, it's not like the, you know, the dank, you know, Glendronic, super heavy, oily spirit, but it mm-hmm. does have some body to it for sure. It, um, it's funny you say like that you really kind of nail down that that honey characteristic um it reminds me of the deanson malt mm-hmm. which deanson's a very honey malt as well so yeah, when, you get, when you get that yeah when you get that honey kind of freshness with the cherry cask it's very similar like that that organic oloroso deanson yeah yeah is very similar yeah. in my yeah, eyes i've, I've had that more. whiskey you're absolutely right very similar Three for me, three had the best nose. Three's got a really good nose on it. I, I like yes, it. it does. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that um, that was something that stuck out for me from tasting all five is the three to me stood out as being very, very, you know, deliciously aromatic. Whereas the batch four, there's something about the way the batch four is constructed and the way it kind of like finishes and the length of the finish, which is to me kind of made it stand out as, as my personal favorite. <clears throat> For sure. Like the, the one takeaway I had from, from the last time we did this, the tasting was two, just two and three were just more expressive. They were more complex mm-hmm. in the sense that they just offered a more variety of flavor. When you get into four and five, you just, you get more, just more cherry. Cherry. Right. Yeah. The, it oh. does kind of put a bit of a blanket on things, doesn't it? In terms it of some of the aromatics. It, yeah. it really does. And then the trade-off is the texture. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Five is definitely the the mouthfeel on five is yeah by far the best one yeah i wish i could, i'll have to get into the five again i'll have a chance to pick one up this fall in bc but um you know i'll i would like to watch it because i of course just tried it like half an hour after we'd opened it at the tasting and mm-hmm. um i thought that the red wine kind of spiked a bit and it had a little bit of that kind of like almost volatile kind of character to it a little bit um, yeah like it's, but uh, I wonder if that'll settle down after it's been open for a few months. It it's still it's got a pretty powerfully spicy finish to it. Yes. Very yeah, I was going to say there's more grip spice than batch grip. four. Yeah. Yeah, it's like batch four is a little bit more silky. Yeah. The yeah, whole, yeah, smooth, smoother on the finish to the point where it almost loses a little bit of its length. When yeah. five is just like a power punch to the throat almost. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The five, totally. uh, it's like the Oloroso side of the mm. sherry stands out way more. Yeah. The spice, like the spice yeah. and the, the darker, the fruits and nuttiness almost mm-hmm. plays with the honey, just like honey roasted peanuts. It really does, like, yeah. Almost like a dark spiced fruit pie with there you roasted, go honey roasted it. peanuts Get into it there you go <laughs> yeah i know it's nice that's yeah when i say honey actually something i will say and this, this is going to sound silly but like i'm not talking about like you know the honey you get from like the bee farm when you're like oh, you no, know, no. driving through the country no i'm talking about like the one out of that little bear yeah. that you get like it's yeah. sweet and it's candied and 
fresh hunt, like sweet. It's very like, fresh yeah, and sweet yeah. and clean. Yeah. 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 Um, not, yeah not like so raw, raw honey. Or no, the, no, not that like pungent. No, no, no. Raw. No, it's not like that. Um, yeah. The batch <laughs> four was the one that, that caused the, the problems for me um, because uh, it, it won. It was, well, it was named best whiskey in the world at the world whiskey awards. I hate and uh, <laughs> it was crazy because there was bottles. Uh, you guys know how this works. There yeah. were bottles sitting on the shelf at BC liquor stores. We had like, if you wanted to go out and get batch one, two and three in Alberta, like they were just sitting on shelves. There was stock in the warehouse just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we were, we were trying to like go out and push it and sell it. And in like 48 hours, everything was gone. I the know. shelves were empty. <laughs> the warehouse was empty. It was just like instantly gone. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like we're getting calls about the 15. And then I think people right after that, the next batch of 12 year old came down. And of course, you know, it's also a sherry bomb now. Yeah. You know, the, the recent batches and that, that was kind of the big moment. If, uh, well, I think Billy Walker said in one of his interviews that if he could, have i don't know sail away with two two different whiskeys would be the 21 year and the 15 the new 15 year yeah yeah that that 21 was um well, 21 yeah, i don't really know if did, like, did it we was bottle really a little good. bit for sean it, it was it oh, was memorable yeah. like that to me was like in you know in an all-time <laughs> list it was a unicorn <laughs> it, it was yeah it was spectacular it was very yeah. good yeah i wish i would have had more time over it there's a chance you might get to try it again um, well, first of all, there'll be other batches coming yeah, down the pipe, like that's for sure. And we'll get and, more. Uh, I imagine Canada will get more stock because you, you were only dealing with I like hope a, so. a handful of cases or something like that, weren't you? Or less, even less, less, less than that. that. Yeah. In fact, we we didn't have any. I, we didn't sell a single bottle at retail. Jeez. They all because, went to establish. Well, like because a, we couldn't like so. Yeah, I mean, there just wasn't enough. Like, yeah. how do you decide like who gets? You know, we talked about like Canada. splitting up the cases yeah. into single bottles, and it's just like this is Mickey Mouse. Let's just you know, host events like this, you know, use it for promotion. And, you know, as it so happens, it really is like, I kind of feel like that will be like, you know, we were talking about the general for comes before this like early release that just like absolutely struck gold. Like to me, that batch one twenty one year old is that whiskey for Glen Very well. What about the 25? Like, the 25 is still available everywhere. What's it's, okay, a, it's so really light in color though. So I'm- yeah, it's interesting what you said about the aromatics in batch two and three. Um, because that to me is the difference between the 25 and the 21 is okay. the 21 has more of that like aromatic side. Um, you know, it's quite like, you know, heathery and, and more that floral honey. Yeah. It doesn't have like the gooey kind of dessert quality that that 21 has. Um, but that said, do I think that that 25, like I love the 25, but I thought that uh, to me, the 21 it has a more full package. In terms of, and it's more memorable. Like I think there's other whiskeys out there, like the Glenallity 25. These, you know, those are also great whiskeys. Yeah. But the 21 to me feels like something that probably couldn't quite be created elsewhere. Like it's it's distinct. We're thinking about putting it in our. We're thinking about doing an in-person tasting next month, and we're going to go okay. as many 25 year olds as we can for the budget. But I yeah, was lo- that one's I was fairly priced. Yeah. So yeah. it is fairly priced for sure. So I, it's on my list to go look for. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing that like the Glen Allocies all seem to hit at decent prices, like I've never looked at it and been like, holy, wow, it's gouging. Like I've never thought that. No. Also and it's tough because all the bottles are allocated, right? The temptation yeah. is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I don't think we're the lowest priced single malt on the shelf, but no. 
but not the highest. But we also, I, I think they've kept it reasonable. Um, and, you know, I've, <laughs> I've had to do a lot of fighting behind the scenes to keep it that way. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, and it's like this with other brands too. Like we are thinking long-term, you know, you know, like it's important that to me, that Glen Allocky remains fairly priced. And it's, you know, it's important to me that Compass Box, that you can compare the ingredients to the price of your blend and realize like, Oh, wow, this is actually like, this actually makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't buy 25 year old climate for this price, you know? No, for sure. And people, what people don't realize is that there's, there's just many layers of thought that goes into how a whiskey is priced. And it's something that, that I'm obviously so much. learning <laughs> a ton about because there's, yes, there's the price that you get from the supplier, but then there's, you have to take into account what every other agency in the world is doing as far as what their, what their markets are, are telling you. And you got to think about your drinkers. You got to think about your business. You got to think about so many different things, right? That it's not. Yeah. Tell me about people, it. That's, that's really what I do all day. Yeah. That not everybody's just trying to gouge you. That's all right. No, in fact, yeah, there's, you know, even times where you see something on the shelf and, you know, there's, there's definitely times where I look at prices of things and think, oh, they kind of messed up here, here, and here. And, um, because, you know, if a supplier, you know, that, you know, selling scotch whiskey, if they just sell it in Canada and they sell it for the same price to us that they sell to their, you know, retailers in the UK, by the time the markups and taxes, like you'd pay an obscene amount. So these companies have to take a bit of a hit to be successful in Canada. It's just the way it works. Because the government just takes a huge chunk here. For sure. And you can't, you can't price irresponsibly in the sense that you don't want to screw anybody else either. So you don't want to price it way lower in one market and then piss off. No, no, you have to be very, very careful. And if you overprice in one market from the, like if the agency overprices in one market, people, the, the internet will tell that story. So you're just going to look like a donkey if you do. Well, we see yeah. that, we <laughs> we see that even province to province. Yeah. Here. Where you, you'll find a, a product and it's $150. And then you look on a, like a, a online retailer in the States and it's half the price. And we know the yeah. taxes, we know the taxes contributes to it, but at the same time, that's. No, this is, um, I feel like the next 10 years of, of, especially like in the premium scotch whiskey space, mm-hmm. this is going to be the number one topic because it used to always be, you know, I, I live in Vancouver, obviously, you know, the conversation would be like, Oh, you know, people just buy from Alberta and you know, they're getting a better price there. But really to me, that's like just scratching the surface of a bigger problem, which is, you know, now I'm getting people in Alberta telling me, well, my customers can get it cheaper in the U S or they can get it cheaper in the UK. It's like, it's not about BC versus Ontario versus Alberta anymore. It's about, you know, you've got to be aligned globally. And I'm starting to see that some of our brands like, you know, Ben Romick is a good example. Like mm-hmm. they're now, you know, they're being very diligent that their prices, the prices are aligned in Canada, the U S the UK. And uh, that's, you know, you get some, that's why the prices are fair. And Compass Box is kind of in that boat. Um, and Glen Allocky, I think to some extent too, is, is in that ballpark yeah, where they're being a conscious. A lot to consider. For sure. There is a lot to consider and it's tough because, you know, the truth is then that, you know, it's not very, uh, it's not, a, it's not good business to sell whiskey in Canada. If, if you're thinking that way. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we, I've seen it from both BC, especially in Ontario, which seemed like two government managed 
liquors, but BC still tends to, yeah, they're a little higher than Alberta, which is to be expected, but comparing stuff from BC to Ontario and you're just like, how in Ontario, how do they price it double what another government agency is pricing yeah. it for in BC? You know, like, they're seeing a different strategy. LCBO has been known to not care what anybody else thinks. So. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's tough too, because there's some products that, you know, the three of us would be quite aware of like, okay. So for instance, like Compass Box has the no name three coming down the pipe, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's Lafroig and Beaumore. That's going to be really hot. Oh yeah. You know, um, but if you're not in the business and kind of have your finger on the pulse, that might not look any different to you than no name two, which was Kalila, right? Yeah, but yeah. in Alberta, that's actually a big difference. So in our bag, sometimes, yeah, well, our, no, that was batch one. one. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, no, some, batch, batch one. one. Yeah, sorry. But uh, the point being is that you know you have to be on, you have to have your finger on the pulse of all this stuff when you make all those decisions, and right. it's tough for those people. You know, they're they're worried about other things. You know, they, it's uh, that's kind of the tough thing about a big liquor monopoly. There's, you know, they don't have time to be like worried about like, Oh, I can gouge on this one, but I've got to like cut my margin on this one. And yeah, you know, so <laughs> you end up painting with a wide brush. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a complicated process. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Let's I, I yeah. pour a little, uh, he's in blend of all Ooh, the batches. He's in blend. And yeah. I, figured, uh-huh. I, I did I see a few people there. doing that at the tasting and yeah. I, it's I great. right away thought about, uh, yeah. Sometimes when I do, you know, for instance, the, the compass box tastings, I ask people like, who late at night like mixes their single malts together because everybody does. Don't that one there don't was your heathen blend of the last ones here. So just put them all in there. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, Have sure you guys like... added any water? No, no, we're not. Not that we're not the type to add water. We just I added. Yeah, water I've experimented a lot with these. Yeah, I did it all at the tasting, so I didn't feel the need. Yeah, I mean, I feel in my position like I just need to know how they're affected by water, and yeah. Um, it is interesting because the batch four, I thought I preferred without water, but some of the other ones I preferred with. Hmm. The heathen blend kind of tastes I'm gonna like guess that version three. of character. It tastes like batch yeah, okay. two, batch yeah. three. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, there is kind of a linear progression from batch to batch, it feels like. To me, it would make sense that if you take like the, the heavy sherry from five, and the more openness and brightness of one, they kind of cancel each other out. And then the four right. and the two, same thing, just a little more cohesive. And then you're left with three. To me, it tastes like between a two, the two and the three. I, I like it better with a little bit of the bourbon and virgin oak in it. I like yeah, interesting. Than, the all, than the all sherry, honestly. Well, yeah, something in the short term, I think you'll see just a lot of sherry, sherry, sherry. But I think down the road. It sells. I it it does. Yeah, I know. We have retailers selling <laughs> us all the time. Like I know. I I'm getting give tired us the of darkest that. bottle you have. It's yeah. like, oh gosh. I'm tired of that conversation, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. But uh and that's yeah, that would be that would be a critique of the Alberta whiskey lovers. We love heavy sherry and heavy beef. <laughs> it's because we're all blue collar working know, in right? working it's, in it's the grease. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but um no, I was gonna say at some point I would love to bring like a single cask, like just bourbon hogshead, something that's like that virgin know, oak single years cask old or old. Yeah. That you brought to that tasting yeah. was stunning. Like stunning. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've ever had a virgin oak cask that was so silky and didn't have any raw wood on it. And vi- like it was just vibrant, vibrant yes. character. It was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've had a few, I've, I've been paying more attention to virgin oak whiskeys that I've had. And yeah, there's just like, like a, a deepness in the flavors that comes out of it f- for whatever reason, if it's just nothing else has ever touched it before, but I've definitely been, it's opened my eyes and like we tasted through some samples from a company that's not even in Canada and that one kind of started oh, that it. virgin oak. Yeah. And then it was Bimber. Bimber. Have you done any research on Bimber at all? Yeah, I'm very familiar with Bimber. Yeah, they um, and that that'd be a place that'd be fun to visit. Oh, absolutely! Oh. He, if you want like the most nerdy, nerdiest of nerds, <laughs> whiskey nerds out there, they're, they're yeah, I picture them like yeah. sleeping beside the casks. Like oh, if you've seen interviews, for yeah. sure. But he like he uh, like their washbacks have are toasted wood on yeah right on the inside of their washbacks. He plates. installed his own cooling plate so he could. Uh, maintain a perfect temperature for fermentation yeah. like it's just yeah. yeah to nerd nerd to like the yeah well look this is how we get innovation right i mean i i think the the reality i mean people have been saying this for a long time but at some point it's going to happen like someone is going to figure out a way to get around the 35 years that it takes to create aurora right no, someone is going right. to shorten figure out how to get there um at that quality <laughs> level in a shorter period of time yeah, so well, there's a lot of experimentation going on out there, which I think is exciting. It's fun. Yeah, it is exciting. Yeah. So I think we'll see that in our lifetime for sure is like those types of, Oh, we I mean, look, we've seen the Taiwanese and Indian whiskey to me, that was kind of a big step in like one direction. And yeah. now you see guys like Bimber taking another big step and, yeah. you know, you see people like Mictors taking steps in like, you know, wood maturation and, and creation. And yeah, it's just, there's always, it seems like there's a lot of innovation still all around us. With Mictors, it's actually, they they impress me because it's in a, in an industry that is so very closed and, yeah. but, but rich in history and, and like the, the most famous bourbon manufacturers or suppliers out there, creators have been making solid bourbons for a long time, but Mictors has somehow found a way to like carve this niche of innovation and within within the bubble it's actually kind yeah. of it's it's like they're super interesting a lot of rules it is yeah, yeah i think what struck me about mictors when i started working with them is that you know every bourbon company kind of has this like veneer of marketing because mm-hmm. really like the business truly just kind of mostly goes back to the 60s yeah like it's it's a kind of a new business and i think like there were some bourbon companies that actually had kind of the saying that you know we'll just pretend that we have a story until we actually do have one. And that's kind of what happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Mictors is guilty of that a little bit too. Right. I mean, they sell shanks and bomb burgers and you know, I've talked about the George Washington connection, but what's cool is you, once you get under that, it's like the story underneath is actually like more interesting, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's not always the case. No, it's not at all. And like no. we, for the most part, when we talk about bourbon, we, the, the saying is bourbon is bourbon, but not, yeah. not, not to take anything away from it, but no, there's when it comes, when it it comes though, to Mictor, yeah. When it, but when it comes to Mictors, bourbon is not always bourbon. And that's, no, I would agree. In fact, you know, it's funny. One of the batches of 10 year old that just like, obviously different casks make it right. Cause it's all single casks. Yeah. And I like to sometimes go through the market and try the different casks to come because sometimes they're different. Yeah. And one of the 10 year olds that is on the shelves in BC right now 
like it is, it's fascinating. It, I've never had a bourbon quite like it before. And like, even some of the people in the office that, you know, we know Mictor so well, like, it's just so aromatic. It's just not wood forward, even though it's like, you know, it's this old cask of bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. And just like very, very distinct. Have you guys ever met Andrea Wilson or been in one of her presentations? No, I don't think I have. No. So she's, yeah, she's the like chemical engineer that um, came um, from Crown Royal and she's responsible uh, uh, for a lot of like the kind of weird custom filtration systems they built and like not the peaches wood management stuff that they do. <laughs> that's kind of like, it feels a bit cloak and dagger, right? Like what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. she's, she's behind a lot of those innovations. Cool. Um, yeah, I know she's, you know what? It's funny. We're talking about some of these big personalities today, yeah. like, like Billy Walker and the scotch business has been historic, but, uh, yeah, I, I really think the future of whiskey is going to be people like Andrea that are like actually geniuses and, you know, she'll for sure have books written about her one day, like guaranteed, but you know, just not flashy in the way that we think about in whistle in uh, whiskey. Yeah. But we will talk about it one day like it is right. And that's, uh, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. And there, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of great new minds in the whiskey industry right now that yes. in 10, 10, 15 years from now, it's, yeah, there's not going to be a lot of chatter of Billy Walker. Billy Walker is just going to be a legend and it's going to be how these new uprisings totally. like the people from Denver. Yeah, yeah, well, for sure. That's yeah. what people are going to be talking about. Yeah, I know, I'm, curious, right. I'm curious to see what like, yeah, what Bimber and some of these other brands yeah, uh, Compass Box is a good example are. too, right? Compass, yeah, like, Compass, Compass, they yeah. can't just be John Glazer forever. No, they can't. And you they're know? starting and to do that shift, right? Like John Glazer's yeah. stepping a little farther back. And well, back, yeah, where, back, what do I got here? Like this, this was created by Jill, right? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, if, and Jill's kind of got her own angle and her own story and um, her own ideas. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see though. You're right. There's these new injections happening all and around us. And that's what people really want in whiskey. They want personality in whiskey and they're going to, they're getting more and more of it all the time. Well, like, like coming from my love of Irish whiskey, obviously that's a whole nother spectrum. Of you like Irish whiskey? A little bit. Oh, yeah. okay. But like what, it's Ireland it, makes whiskey. <laughs> yeah. The best. The, oh, <laughs> no. But like like we haven't heard that yeah. take before. <laughs> obviously they're going through a huge Renaissance and a boom. And so 10 years from now, you're going to have, you know, 40 actual distilleries with products on the shelves. Whereas right now you're still stuck to like five or six that have yeah. actual their own whiskey. Yeah. There's 150 brands of Irish whiskey, but, but yeah. even then, like well, there's also 27 brands of uh, Waterford. I assume you guys have the full set of 1.1s. <laughs> uh, I may have everyone. I've ha- I I have everyone one. that's come to Canada. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's awesome. But, but th- there you go. Like, obviously, you'll Mark be laughing Ray- at all of us when you sell this set for like a million dollars. Then you, yeah. Well, like, obviously, Mark Rainier came from Brooklady and took everything that they were doing and just did it tenfold in Ireland. The value, the value of naming a batch out, like, yeah, that. he sure does. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, but then even yeah, like, Waterford is another one of these leaps forward that we were just talking about for sure. Well, like, for sure, yeah, yeah, and you know, now that there's like these new brands that are just starting out and they're building up so much hype and they're just doing things differently. And why not? Like, especially with bourbon, like I'm not a purist by any stretch of the imagination. There are some things I'll, you know, I'll stop at certain points, but you know, these brands that are doing things differently, why not? Why not do it? If you're still falling under the rules and you're not breaking the rules, 
And like, like we said, Middleton, yeah. you know, classic, they were the only distillery for how many years? And yet, Middleton, yeah. Bushmills, Cooley were like, right, yeah, that was for, everything. Yeah, was it. yeah, for 20 years. And then, you know, West Cork came in and, but Middleton, they obviously realized there's going to be this huge boom. So they brought out this method of madness and all it is, is in the spots and the, yeah, all kinds but method of madness, all it is, is experimentation. Yeah. Like putting right. their experiments into the market and using, you know, strange woods or strange mashes and, just letting it go and seeing what happens. And obviously they have brilliant minds behind them doing it. So, and it's working because people are talking about it. So it's not mm-hmm. just going to be like the spots in the red breast that, you know, they rest on, they're putting stuff out to compete with all these newer distilleries that are yeah. doing things differently. But, and it, well, yeah, it, it's coming from a long, a long history of, of heritage and, yeah. and methods and that kind of thing. Like the only next step is imagination, innovation. It's, that's the only, it's the only thing that's going to keep people interested period. Yeah. 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 Actually, I remember Mark Rainier talking, um, you know, back when I worked for Bergladdy that he, he actually explicitly said like, we have to find a way to separate the idea of whiskey to maturation, which well, I heard that and I was like, what are you talking about? But uh, like, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Have but, you, you know, he's talking about like <laughs> the fact that it's such a terrible business model, right? This idea that we're so tied to the boom and bust. I mean, I'm sure it's occurred to you guys. Like, production is up massively since about 2008, right? Oh God, yeah. Like, there's a lot of all of a sudden 10 year old whiskey about to come online. Like, what does that mean? We don't know. It means we're going to run. But it means something, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna just cut down every tree that's left in Stalin. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be aging. In, yeah, that's the next thing. We're gonna be aging in like cedar and pine and, spread yeah. and like random. Let's just create wood. like casks that are made out of peat because they've got lots of that still. Yeah, yeah, petrified <laughs> peat, petrified peat casks. Yeah, I don't, like, it's 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 weird to think about where it might go from here. Obviously, there's a massive step to still take, but. Uh, Sherry, like sherry casts are, it's going to all be seasoned casts. You think at one point in time, like it's, yeah. I mean, isn't it kind of already? It kind Pretty, of, yeah. it kind of is honestly. And yeah. They're yeah. It's, and if somehow a distillery comes across a, even a shipping cask that they used to use and it's still usable, well, that, yeah. whatever you're getting out of that is going to cost you an arm and a leg to get because yeah. everything else mm-hmm. is yeah, like, even the distilleries like McAllen and Glen Goyne that source all their casks from a bodega. Like Glen Goyne, they say right on their bottles, it takes six years from tree to be able to be used, but it's still, all it is is six years and they're, you know, they're seasoning it with sherry from these, yeah, they're highly touted bodegas, but still that's all they're getting. So, so it's not a, a, yeah. a 40 or 50 year um, processed cask that they're getting because those don't exist. The Solaris yeah, the Solaris yeah. casks and stuff. So, well, I shouldn't be advertising uh, trying to shorten the period of maturation in whiskey when you know next month uh, we're going to have an eighty-year-old Glenlivet. <laughs> yeah, in the market. Well, if, if people, so we should age longer. If people turn, <laughs> we should have two hundred-year-old whiskeys. Yeah, if people turn their noses up to an eighty-year-old whiskey and send some to us, more reviewed on the podcast. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, if there's anything, yeah, I hope I get a chance the whiskey world has proved is that ages and everything. So it's, no. and it's becoming, it's not, it's not the first thing that people look at when they buy a bottle of whiskey, which yeah, there's some amazing young whiskeys out there. And you think of the state, like uh, Balcones putting out two year old whiskeys that are as expressive as 40 year old whiskeys. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's insane. So, yeah. yeah, but 
Anyway, yeah, we, we, we get... picked the right time. We picked yeah. the right time to get oh, into whiskey, that's for sure. For sure. And we could, yeah. we could continue to crawl down this rabbit hole probably for another four hours. But yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue on another podcast because you, like we mentioned, you have about 50 well, uh, well-known brands. established brands in your portfolio. So we'll we'll get there eventually. James, I, yeah, really, I'm happy to do it again someday. Yeah, no, we're going to take you up on it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So I really enjoyed this chat. I've always enjoyed chatting with you. So I think you're a totally solid guy. And uh, yeah, thank thank you for the whiskey too. Provided all the the whiskey for today. So yeah, thank yeah, you so much. Welcome. I missed missed that tasting because of work. So I got almost all of the tasting in. <laughs> yeah, you can now take that uh, that Billy Walker doll that you had with like the knives stuck in it, and you can discard that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not pins, yeah. knives. Yeah, yeah. Nice. it's a, a magic. Yeah, like the, what's the it's thing that pulls the um the like the that opens the um the casts pulls like the, the punt out. Yeah, yeah. The, Billy the, Walker, the big up, screw, doll yeah. the big bung puller. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, these. I really enjoy this range. I'm happy we had a chance to go through it twice now. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, way more caramels coming out now that the blend has been sitting there. The heathen blend, yeah, crazy. No, it's good. Anyways, my friend, it was nice to chat with you. We're uh, we'll we'll definitely chat again. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. Yeah. Thanks, James. Take care, my friend. Okay. See ya.